Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org T's and C's apply Hello and welcome to Talk Sports Game Day Podcast with me Sam Matterface Talk Sports Scott Minto and Kevin Hatchard the European guru Coming up Everton and Forest climb out of the bottom three Leicester drop in so do Leeds 21 goals are scored in just three matches on a bonkers bank holiday Monday. Manchester United losing their grip on a Champions League spot after back-to-back defeats. Arsenal keep their faint total hype alive and it looks like we could be in for a major change in terms of VAR. All details will be revealed on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. First of all, Scott Minto, thank you very much for jumping onto the podcast like, uh, like a superhero. Um, just coming out of the ether and getting right involved because uh, Alex Crook, Alex Crook, whisper it quietly, the chief football correspondent of Talk Sport hasn't turned up. Can you believe that? Is he still smarting from David De Gea's huge mistake? I think he is, mate. I mean, we'll have to have a word with the chef when he does actually get up or get in. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see where he is right now. <laughs> Maybe we're not interested to know where he is right now. <laughs> Maybe he's just sobbing and clutching a kind of crocheted David De Gea and he's just sobbing gently. Maybe Do you know what? Sobbing. He has got a crocheted Wayne Rooney bear. Don't ask me what that's all about, but that is actually true. He's got a crocheted Wayne Rooney <laughs> bear, which I think was missold to him as a signed piece of merchandise. Uh, but uh, either way, he's not with us. Uh, Kevin Hatchard is. And uh, Kevin, I'm still reeling from um, what was a, a baffling monk bank holiday Monday. Yeah, amazing stuff. And I think it underlines why some of these teams are in the position that they are because they can't defend. So you look at Leicester, they have so much technical quality in that team. But it made me think, the way they lost to Fulham made me think of their away game at Leeds recently. And they actually played some really good football in that game. And then you thought, well, actually, they nearly lost it to one of the worst teams in the league because Leeds had two great chances late on. And the problem is, James Madison talked about this after the game, if you can't defend, it gives you no platform to go and consistently win games because you can have all of the great attacks you want, all the great goals you want, but if you're shipping four and five goals, you've got no chance. And that's been embedded in their football for well over a year now. Yeah, and that was baked in well before Dean Smith turned up. So I know he's getting a little bit of criticism this morning, but this is not necessarily all on Dean Smith. Scott, you were at Craven Cottage to witness Fulham 5, Leicester City 3. And let's just lay it on the line. James Madison did say some things in the aftermath of the game which might have been taken out of context when he turned around and said his team weren't hungry 
uh, for the win. They weren't prepared to go out and, 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 uh, and go into those duels the way they should have done. But ultimately, this was a team that looked so chaotic and frenetic from the very start that they, to me, they looked like a team that were, as soon as they conceded the first goal, which was a ridiculous goalkeeping error anyway, they looked chaotic. They looked desperate. Do you know what, Sam? I, I, I was there and I'm thinking, right, OK, what are the tactics going to be? And within the first sort of few minutes, it looked like, OK, they're going to try and sit back and counter. But even when they when you don't have the ball, you can still be aggressive. You know, you can still be really well organised. You can still have those 50-50 battles. And they didn't get anywhere near Fulham. Fulham didn't really need to play that well. And, and I'll give credit to them. Let me tell you, the 5-3 scoreline absolutely flatters Leicester, not Fulham. You know, oh, and yes. it, it was 3 0 at half time. It was 4 0 at one point. And you're thinking, you know, this is, listen, I, I, from a player's point of view, and I, I do feel for James Madison because he always does step up and, and, and speak afterwards. So, you know, he has the courage to do that. He, he didn't choose his words exactly right. But what he meant was, or, or what he, in what he was saying, is they weren't aggressive in the tackle and they, and they should have been. When you're down there, Sam, it's really, really tough mentally and psychologically. And sometimes it can feel like you've got lead boots on. It's not that you're not trying. It's just that the, it, it, there's so much pressure down there and you feel it for the fans. You feel it for, listen, if Leicester go down, there'll be, and, and the same for any team that goes down, there'll be staff members, you know, people who are around the training ground that will lose their job. So players do feel all of this. It's not that they don't care. It's just that sometimes the weight of pressure is not good enough. But that's the manager's job and that's the player's job to deal with that. And they're just not dealing with it. And I looked at that game and I thought, you've got to get a point because your next two are Liverpool and Newcastle. Um, I don't see them getting a point out of either of those. And I think that was so heartbreaking, the performance. If they carry on that way, they'll get done by five in the next two games as well. And, and then they will be down because they won't get three points in the last game. Why was it so open? And Kev, I mean, you saw the game. I saw the game. I thought when you're in a relegation zone, the first thing you do is try and keep control of the match or keep a semblance of control in the match. There was no control in this match from Leicester City. No, I think the first goal's the killer because I think Scott's absolutely right. I think once that first goal goes in, that panic starts to spread. And you can see... Because they're chasing the game, right? Yeah, exactly. And and that then leaves you halfway because you've, if your plan was to go and counter, but then you think, ah, we've conceded a goal already and you think about the enormity of that, then you end up diverging from what you were going to do in the first place. But I think as well, there are two more issues here. The first is that Fulham, I've been so impressed with them in the last few weeks because it would have been so easy for them to go right we've got enough points to stay up we're going to be fine we're still annoyed about that fa cup game we'll just cruise to the end of the season but marco silva came out and said look we're not going to do that i'm really angry that people think we're going to do that and they've won at everton they've beaten leicester and what you want is you want teams that are going to do justice to themselves but also justice to the other teams in the league so if they're giving 100 percent playing the football they're playing then that's great to see. So I was really, really impressed with them. And the other thing is, as we say, time and time and time again, just Leicester making basic errors in defence. And as Madison said, not just defenders, as a team, not sticking to your assignment, not tracking people, just horrible mistakes. When you're down there and the confidence is so low, if you concede that first goal and early, 
you know, suddenly it's like, oh, and somehow you've got to try and find a way and they have to find a way. We keep on saying week after week after week, this squad is too good to go down. But, you know, they didn't expect to be here. And when you're not mentally prepared for something like this, they should have been. They should have been from what happened from almost the start of the season. You know, that this is going to be a, a really difficult season. You've got to, It's almost like they've slept, walked into it or they've kind of ignored what's coming. And now it's almost yeah. too little, too late. Absolutely right in what Kev's saying. That first goal went in, shoulders went down, but that's when you need the reaction. And I wouldn't just blame the defence. And I think Madison's right in that. You know, the two holders, Samari and, and Tielemans, were, were terrible. They were, gave their defence no protection whatsoever. Paulinha absolutely ran the game. And, you know, look, absolutely felt well played to them for doing well in Fulham. And for their sake, I'd like to see them finish in the top half because I think they deserve that. But for Leicester's point of view... That it's relegation performance. Yeah, and, and one of the things that really worries me, Scott, about this is, there's, there's, as you mentioned, about sleepwalking into the situation. I think going back a couple of months, and we talked about this several times, about that James Madison tweet, that, that tweet that he sends to uh, Rob Tanner, in which he sort of details why he thinks that Rob he is picking on them because they're not in a relegation battle. If you look at the way we play football, you can see that, 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 that there's enough there for us to survive. But actually, I don't think that those players really believe that they were in a relegation battle from the start. And as a result of that, if you don't really believe that you're in that situation, when you need to summon every sinew of your body to get you over the line, to dig out a result, a little bit like Nottingham Forest did yesterday, a little bit like Everton did yesterday, those powers aren't there. Because really in your heart, you don't believe that you should be in this situation in the first place. And it is about that mentality. And I suppose that is where the manager does come in, actually, in convincing you, hold on, you are in trouble and you've got to respond. Can they do that now? Is is there anyone who can make them sort of understand that situation now? Or has it gone too long? I think that's what Dean would be saying. I mean, he's he's, he's there for the reason, isn't he? I mean, I think it's there for obvious to say. But as as we've both sort of alluded to, once you're in that position, it's almost you know, not too late because it's it's never too late, but it's just difficult to turn it around. Graham Soonish used to say it's it's not a tap. You can't just turn it on and off. And, you know, you have to be at it 100% of the time. But if mentally you're thinking, oh, do you know what? We'll be all right. The next game will be all right. The next game will be all right. And suddenly the game's tot up and confidence is low and the fans are getting on you. Can I just say a word about the fans as well? I didn't see any of them leaving until the final whistle. They were there right to the very Which end. Which was amazing because I would have walked a- out at halftime. <laughs> Absolutely. They would have been justified too if they wanted to. And they were trying to get behind uh, their team. You know, I've heard that there were shouts of, um, you're not fit to wear the shirt. I didn't hear them personally. They were over the other side for me. But they're entitled to have a go because, you know, that was a shocking performance. It was, anyone can lose at Craven Cottage as we've seen this season. But to lose in that manner, in the position that you're in, with the games that you've got left... I'm sorry, I, 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 I didn't think Leicester up until that game would go down. I do now. OK, let's get to the Amex Stadium because I don't think anyone saw this result coming either. Wow, Everton, who usually can't score for Toffee, smashed five against Brighton to move out of the bottom three. I must admit, out of all of the results that you could have given me on uh, Monday afternoon, this one was the one that started me the most. I could actually have believed that Leicester and Fulham would slug it out. And the same with Nottingham Forest and Southampton. But Everton scoring five goals 
just would blow my mind. Uh, there was no chance that that would ever happen, surely. And it started brilliantly. Dwight McNeil was sensational. I don't think Brighton were particularly at it, and Everton certainly were right from the very off. But this gives them a great chance of survival, doesn't it, Kev? Yeah, it's a platform. Uh, and it, it proves to them they can score goals. It proves to them they carry a threat. Dwight McNeil was absolutely outstanding. Uh, arguably his best ever Premier League performance, you, you'd have to say. Um, he, yeah. he was superb. Decore was superb. And obviously having Calvert-Lewin back makes a massive difference because he occupies defenders. He makes those intelligent runs. You know, we talk about his goal scoring, but he's all round a very good player, I think. And that makes a massive difference. Again, we talk about that first goal with Leicester Fulham. It was critical here because scoring after, what, 32 seconds gave them such a lift and seemed to really knock Brighton. And, and it's so unusual to see Brighton play without that control, without that real belief. And it was interesting that Deserbi afterwards didn't talk about those individual mistakes. He talked Well, he did talk about mistakes, but the main thrust of what he was saying was we didn't have the motivation. And if we want to get to being a European club that's playing in European competition, then having to play at a weekend, you've got to be able to deal with the tough schedule. And he seemed to feel that mentally they weren't at it. And I think if you play a lot of games in a short space of time, that can happen to you, especially if you're not used to it. And this is a worry for for Brighton over the course of the next few weeks because almost by design, actually, and I I know that Roberto De Zerbi sort of almost pushed for the fact that some of the rearranged fixtures that they've got, and they've got quite a few. In fact, they've got more games to play than anybody else left in the Premier League. He wanted to push them towards the end of the season because he wanted that sort of tournament siege mentality feel so that they can make a late charge for the European places, Scott. But actually, that might be their undoing because, like Kev has already alluded to, coping with that schedule has become increasingly difficult. And that was in evidence yesterday. Absolutely. And and do you know what? I mean, look, I think we all really admire Brighton and everything they've done both on and off the pitch. And they've been amazing. But, uh, you know, if they'd have won that game, they'd have been on 58 points. And United would have been on 63. And Brighton still would have had a game in hand. Technically speaking, you could still say they would have been in the shout with the Champions League. And the reason why I've kind of said for some time now, it's not going to happen for Champions League is because... When you've got a team that's not quite, one, mentally used to that in the way that you could talk about Arsenal with a title race, but also the depth of the squad. When you have games in hand, it looks great on paper, but give me points on the board any day of the week because games come thick and fast. People are tired. They pick up injuries, mentally tired as well. It's very difficult to go win, win, win. So that was a massive blow for them. Does anyone know what the odds were of 5-1? To Everton, because I wish I'd have played. Yes, three hundred to one. Is that what it was? Three hundred to one. Three hundred to one. I'm out, out, outstanding. My goodness me! If I'd have, if I'd have put twenty quid in it, Sam, then the three of us could have gone off somewhere for a weekend at least. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's exactly what happened to Alex Crook. Actually, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he he put a bet on 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 five one. In fact, one of the reasons I think he's not here with us today is because he's so miserable that uh, Brighton lost, Southampton lost, um, Bournemouth lost. And Manchester United lost. So he's just sort of skulked away under his duvet and refused to, to come out. Uh, the Everton fans thought were terrific. It's a, it's a hell of a journey on a bank holiday Monday. It's a hell of a journey at any time going from Liverpool down to, to Brighton. But to do it on a bank holiday Monday when your team are, let's be honest about it, in the large part, pretty rubbish, especially away from home. 
um, deserved that sort of performance as a reward. So well done to them. And you sort of touched on uh, Calvert-Lewin. Oh, I love that Dominic Calvert-Lewin. When he is proper fit, when he is firing, when he is ready to play football on a regular basis, there's not many that are as delicious to watch as him. Absolutely. Look, look, him being back, and I saw in the Leicester game where even though everyone's talking about, oh, the Madison penalty miss and that would have been 3-1 and you know, Everton should have won that game. Everton created so many chances. And with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, when he is fit, yeah. as you say, he makes such a difference. When he's firing, he is worthy of being in the England squad. Now, that's a million miles away from him now. But I'm telling you that result, and the same way of not just a result, but how the result came for Leicester in a negative way. That result for Everton and the performance psychologically, positively now, I think will keep them up. I don't, look, I don't think they'll get anything out of Manchester City. Wolves away, we know that Wolves at home are, are a decent side. I just feel that Wolves away and Bournemouth at home, who will have nothing to play for, that win there will have given them enough to kick on and, and, and keep them up. And, and that's just a, an amazing achievement and one I did not see coming at all. Um, quickly on Leeds United, an awful weekend for them results-wise, losing as expected away to, to Manchester City, which actually was quite a good performance. But it's looking tough for them on the back of these results because mainly their next game is against Newcastle United, live on TalkSport, 12.30 on Saturday. The rest of their fixtures aren't easy, but then none of the fixtures are easy when you're down there scrapping for points. And it's been made harder by what was a terrific, terrific win for the Tricky Trees. Forrest aren't going to go down without a fight, that's for sure. Johnson, who gets them inside the box, cuts it across to Rodney! Who scores for Nottingham Forest? You know, again inside the box, tips up, he won, yeah! He's got two! He spins the defender, what a volley that is. Stuart Armstrong on his left foot, gets it across again, Alcaraz with a finish, and Southampton are back in it. It's bringing us the bank holiday drama we hoped for. Flicked on towards Johnson, but Maitland-Niles has done well there, and there's a Peebles for a penalty, and it's been given! Massive opportunity now for Gibbs-White. It's Gibbs-White against McCarthy! McCarthy goes left, Gibbs right goes down the middle. This win could keep them up, you never know. Swung in, headed down and in! Lianco with a goal! And we are game on again at the City ground. Brennan Johnson, Johnson cuts it back to Gibbs oh! he leaves it, goal! Well delivered by Danilo again! How can you not want Nottingham Forest to stay in the league, huh? It's down to Lavia, oh, Lavia in the box penalty. goes down, penalty! Walk Rouse, make it, 4-3, goes down the middle, Michael Oliver, Time on a wonderful night at the city ground. Nottingham Forest 4, Southampton 3. Forest 4, Southampton 3. Forest out of the drop zone. Mull of Kintyre was ringing around the city ground. The old antiquated main stand, the Peter Taylor stand, was rocking to its rafters. Uh, I'm sure I saw a bit of scaffolding fall off at some point. Uh, certainly it was leaking because it was absolutely pelting it down with rain over the course of the evening and it was raining goals as well actually going back to where on earth is Alex Crook <laughs> I think he's more annoyed about the fact that Forrest have won and have moved themselves out of the drop zone uh, and he, he might have to shake my hand and say good pick fella uh, than he is about any of the other 
uh, results that went against them. But Morgan Gibbs-White, Kevin, costs £42.5 million, or will do once all the add-ons have been given um, to Wolverhampton Wanderers. And if he does end up helping keep them up, he will be worth every single penny. Yeah, completely. Uh, and what's been really interesting is that at home, he's come alive. You know, you I know in general away from home, they've not played well and their results have been awful. But you look at his personal statistics, you know, almost all of his goals and assists are at home. And, and he mm. does seem to come alive in, in those in those games. And I think he, he drives forward really well. Technically, I think he's great. And he affects the game. He's one of those players that the game doesn't just pass him by. He regularly affects the game. I like him very much. I like Brennan Johnson very much. I think he's another one that's always looking to make things happen. And I've got a bit of a soft spot for Forrest. He used to live a few doors down from the city ground, Colic Road, as a student, used to go down there a lot. And that home atmosphere is such a boost for them. It's such a weapon for them to use because you can see in those tight moments it does get them through. I'm really pleased for Taiwo Awoni because I know how hard he's worked to get this Premier League chance. You know, he was loaned all over the place by Liverpool, couldn't find a permanent home, eventually got that work permit, and he's scoring Premier League goals. And when he's fit and gets the right service, he's a really tough man to stop. So really pleased for Forrest. Southampton, I think this is you know, this has been in the mix for a while. They've made dreadful decisions yeah. at the top of the club throughout the season. And I just think, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost. I, th- I think this is, they are where they should be. Absolutely. Um, on um, the service that one you got, Brennan Johnson in particular, very good at providing it. Those two young boys, I mean, they're still, they're still in their early 20s. They've got a chance to, to, to develop into very good players, haven't they? Johnson, some of his delivery into the box has been terrific. He doesn't always make the right decision. He's still a little bit raw. He's only 21 years of age. But his speed on the counter, his incisiveness on the counter, it gives them a real chance. Now, they've got Chelsea at the weekend, right? Uh, They've got to play, I think they've got to play Bournemouth as they as well. And they've got to play Arsenal. Not easy fixtures by any stretch of the imagination. But... They've got a big chance. And actually, Danny Murphy suggested on the show last night, Scott, that 33 points might already be enough. Could it be? Um, It could, with the form that Leeds and Leicester are in. Yeah, Forrest have got Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Palace away, last game of the season. So, you know... Palace away, not... Yeah, we'll we'll see where where they are, their heads are. But I know what it's like as as a player. Yes, you don't want to get injured, but you also want to send off your fans at home, last game with a win. So... Palace will not be sort of not trying. Um, I, I just think this Bank Holiday Monday will look back as being unbelievably pivotal as to who stays up and who goes down. Mm. Some strange results, some interesting results, and both negatively and posit- positively, we're going to look back and say that was it. Because, look, they've got three games left now. All of them have difficult games and maybe one game where they could think they can get three points. So it still could go down to the final day and we still might see some surprises. I just think Everton doing what they did there. Forrest on 33 points. I've always said, oh, oh, I've thought recently 34 points would probably be enough, but it might be. You know, Leicester might not pick up another point from here on in. And and Leeds as well. Mm. You know, Newcastle at home, West Ham away, Spurs at home. They have to win that last game of the season and Spurs could be Spursy. West Ham's heads might be in Europe. 
So you never know. But from what we've seen so far, I, I think the table is as it is and will stay. Uh, Southampton surely now done and dusted. They need to win on Saturday. Otherwise, they will be relegated against Fulham on Saturday evening. Um, listen, I, I think there's so many bad decisions that have been made there. And we've sort of covered them all before. But Ruben Sellers, I think he probably needs to go to the doctor just to check to see if he's got some sort of rash in his uh, undercarriage because he was moving around quite a lot. At times, he resembled a toddler on a trampoline. He didn't stop moving throughout the whole game. I couldn't work out whether he was doing a, an exercise video or he was trying to organise his team. Either way, that, that penalty, that technical area was so chaotic that at times there were three or four members of staff in there and he was in the middle of it, jumping up and down. It looked like a five-year-old's birthday party. It was ridiculous. And, and, and I don't think it actually helped the players. Danny Murphy was pulling what little hair he's got out. He was he was like, this is so distracting. Like, imagine being a player anywhere near these guys. You can't get messages on with any real clarity if you're all shouting, screaming, and throwing your arms around. And that sort of chaos, I think, embodies Southampton's season. It's been chaotic. It's been disorganised. It's been it, it, it's been naive. And as a result of that, they're going down. Right, let's look at the rest of the action from the Premier League, starting at the London Stadium, as Manchester United continue to make life difficult for themselves. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Both teams will be all right. Won't they? Ericsson, a right-footed shot. And it's narrowly over the top of the crossbar. It's all United at the moment. We, we built it up very good, and then we didn't score. And then, yeah, one mistake, and that changed the game. Ben Rama, dropping the ball on halfway, running at the United defence. An early shot, which catches out the hair. He makes a massive mistake, and he squirts in behind him. I mean, that is literally schoolboy stuff. We make two individual big mistakes. Instead of come away with four points, maybe, we have nothing. Well, I think the performance merited probably a, a, another goal. So, check all this mistake by De Gea, scooped in by 
Mikel Antonio, the flag has gone up on the far side. I mean, David De Gea. He's soft as a marshmallow, oh. isn't he? It's towards the near post. Sotak with a header. Offside flag, he's up. The penalty kick decision, we've now had a couple gone against us. So let's hope that maybe there's a few more to come before the end of the season. Did it hit a hand of Lindelof as it came back across the face of goal? Nailed on. Penalty, I don't understand. And Manchester United just stuttering at the wrong time in the race for the top four. I'm not worried about Liverpool. I'm, uh, we have to think about ourselves. West Ham United will believe that 37 points will keep them in the Premier League. The teams below will be looking at that and thinking that's quite a difficult target to get, but we need to try and pick up some more of ourselves. At the London Stadium, West Ham won. Manchester United nil. OK, he's not here, Alex Crook, right? But can we just do a quick survey of hands, a show of hands, before we go any further, before we get into the game and the, and the detail of why Manchester United didn't get over the line in this match, can we just see a show of hands? Is it all the Glazers' fault? <laughs> Yeah, okay, all right. Kev, Kev's saying yes. I actually think maybe it might be Scott Minto on this occasion. David De Gea's fault. He was he, he was poor for the whole. No, game, do, do you know what Sam? It, he was. He was really poor, and, and and the goal itself was was terrible on so many levels. You know, okay, yes, he slipped, but you know, you, I, or Kev still could have saved that. And you know, I, I didn't want to sort of use the words chalky wrists on 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 uh, on air, but. That's kind of what it was. And it really affected him for the rest of the game. He had no presence. You were summarising. You actually said you won't see a school goalkeeper make a mistake like well, that. Well, OK, yeah. Well, it's pretty much the same thing. You won't. Under 10s. You know, <laughs> you'd expect it maybe under 10s. No more, no higher than that. Under 11s, you're having a bit of a word. But, and, and it affected him because he had no presence with crosses coming in and Mikel Antonio put his arm up one time and that could have been a, given as a goal. I mean, that was, it was powder puff there. And, and you could you could maybe argue that that lack of confidence then spread to the rest of the team. But I don't want to single him out, really. I, I'd like to talk about the whole team and the sort of characters or lack of that Manchester United have. First 15, 20 minutes, they were the better side, Sam, weren't they? They created four or five chances, hit the mm-hmm. post twice, should have hit the target on a couple of other occasions. The goal goes in and OK, it's in a crazy manner, but then respond. And they didn't for the rest of the game. And you're looking at the, you know, Bruno Fernandes. You made a little note uh, to me about him. Uh, but but all the other sides, all the other players in the side, just not good enough. Now, you can argue Bruno Fernandes as a fullback. I'm telling you now, I'd love it all day long if I'm coming up against Bruno Fernandes and not Marcus Rashford. So, you know, Rashford's better out there. And he played wide, didn't he? Especially in the first 60 minutes of the game. Kind of, yeah. But but he's not a wide man. So he's always coming in. So Kera was kind of like having a laugh, really. Um, you know, Veghorst is not really a Manchester United player. Uh, he, they do look better as a team when he's in rather than Martial, but he's not a Manchester United player. Anthony Martial, you know, is, is nowhere near a Manchester United player and the, they're better off getting rid there. So there's a lot of forward players that I even said before the game are not worthy of being a Manchester United player, but they just wasn't good enough, the reaction. So while everyone is jumping on the on the, the sort of De Gea bandwagon, and rightly so, it's not just him, it's the rest of the side as well. And he has a big rebuild or he has to, a big summer coming up with players he needs to bring in. I totally agree with that. I mean, David De Gea has made a, a bigger contribution to Manchester United's relative and small successes over the course of the last few years than, than most of the other players combined. And occasionally he is going to make a mistake because goalkeepers do make mistakes and actually... Okay, so you could argue he makes more than most, but then again, he's probably exposed to more shots and has been exposed to more shots in a Manchester United team that haven't been as good as maybe they they were prior to his arrival. 
But the other issues for me, just in terms of um, the, the depth of the squad and, and how when it was changed, I think Eric Ten Hag actually deserves a little bit of criticism because the way he lined up was with Rashford as the, the forward, the, the, the number 10 was Veghorst, the wide man on one side, on the left was Fernandez, on the right, Anthony. That clearly wasn't working after about sort of, you know, 40, 50 minutes. And as a result of that, he should have just switched it rather than bringing on Martial, who never makes a contribution whenever he comes into the game, ever. I know someone's going to tell me, yeah, but he's got five goals as a substitute this season. He scored seven goals over the season, whatever. I don't care. He is not good enough to play for Manchester United. He drops too deep. When he did came on, uh, come onto the pitch, he occupied the same space as Marcus Rashford. So he got in Rashford's way. And his attitude is is so demoralising when you look at him he just he just is almost sort of like infectious in the completely negative way in that he drags the team down he he sort of just looks like he doesn't really want to be there and I know that just might be his demeanour but it doesn't have a great effect but here's the thing for Manchester United which really worries me right last season uh, we talked about the character and their resilience and they had none under Ralph Ranick they were dreadful in terms of their emotional intelligence and the way they dealt with bad things that happened in games, right? It happened towards the end of the Solskjaer era as well. When they came in, Ten Hag, his coaching staff, Benny McCarthy, who's there as part of the, the coaching side uh, of, of the operation, they had to rebuild the confidence of this group. At the beginning of the season, you may have seen them all sort of slapping hands, giving each other fist bumps, high fives, high tens. Every time they stopped to go and considered a corner, for example, because they were sort of trying to get this camaraderie. Where the hell has that gone? Where's it gone? Because it's all just disappeared. When David De Gea went, let the goal in, it just everyone just sunk to their knees, hands on heads, as if to say, what's going on here? What have you done? You've let us down. Well, get him out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the injuries, to uh, certainly to Martinez, uh, Varane as well, you take those two out, that's a massive difference in that in that defensive line and, and that experience in Varane's case and that energy in Martinez's case, I, I think they've really lacked. The De Gea thing, I agree with you in the sense that he's made a lot of big saves for them for, for a long, long time. What my worry about him would be going forward is that he's no good with the ball at his feet. We know that. It's not a secret. That's not a new thing. Now... Eric Ten Hag wants a goalkeeper who is really adept with distribution, able to 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 start attacks. He had that with Onana. He doesn't have that now. Now, totally you but you Give me a list of priorities, that. and that's not priority number one, is it? That's the problem. Yeah, the thing is, if De Gea is making loads of brilliant saves, that mitigates that to an extent. If he doesn't have that basic shot stopping anymore. And he is making more mistakes. And, of course, he made a mistake in Seville as well. Then you start to think, well, actually, do I need this guy? Do I need a goalkeeper who's much more rounded, a bit less old school? Because also he's not commanding. He's a brilliant shot stopper on his line. But the reason he doesn't play for Spain is he doesn't come off his line. And he's not commanding. So if you want to go forward as a football club under Ten Hag, I'm not sure he gets you there. And I think that's been what people have talked about all season. And I still think it's a big issue. And if he's the number one at the start of next season, I'm not sure that's what Eric Ten Hag really, truly wants. So it'd be fascinating to see if they make a change. I think we all know that Dean Henderson would have been the number one had he not got COVID two seasons ago. Um, and, 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 and that sort of sliding doors moment where 
he gets COVID, he doesn't take over from De Gea, and then ends up being farmed out on loan again. Actually, has it robbed Manchester United of a, of a good goalkeeper, a different way of playing? We'll never know. But that that that, it, that was a key moment, I think, in, in Manchester United's recent history. And another big problem is, is that Rashford stopped scoring goals, four goals in his last 15 games. And Eric Ten Hag has been talking about the burden on Marcus Rashford to score for Manchester United because nobody else does. Yeah, as well. And we had opportunities um, to score. And uh, but yeah, we know that. And well, we can emphasize that uh, uh, they all want to score. It is a lot of effort in this game. And also on Thursday, um, the team, uh, it's a good team. And we create a lot of opportunities. Uh, it would be good that also other take the chances. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how they're going to solve that problem. There is a multitude of problems that somehow Manchester United have got to pick through in the summer. And of course, the biggest issue is, is they don't know who's going to be in charge of the club, Scott. So they don't know who's going to be the chief executive. They don't know who's going to be the owner. They don't know who's going to be uh, providing the funds and, and how much funds they've got to spend and replenish the squad, if any. And, and while this takeover continues to drag on, that lack of clarity actually... I think causes Manchester United a few serious issues because they're planning for the summer. Their transfer planning obviously can't be done with any real certainty. No, no, it can't. So you don't know the exact figure, but this is Manchester United where whoever's in charge, and obviously it's always the Glazers' fault, uh, but whoever's in charge, <laughs> where is he? We need where him, don't it? we? You know, whether they actually give a specific figure, the club is so successful commercially, there will always be a budget and it will always be a healthy budget. Mm. Now, the question about, and you're absolutely right about the hay, and Kev's absolutely right as well to say, you know, he's one, he's not Eric Ten Hag's type of style of goalkeeper because he wants to play out from the back. But also, two, if he is making mistakes and he's not commanding and he's making mistakes on shot stopping, then that priority, and you're right to say, becomes higher and higher. For me, the number one priority is a striker. I think they also need a central midfielder. I mean, if they had Declan Rice in that midfield, I mean, how good was he the other night? He was wow. absolutely amazing. I oh, was terrific. And I found it really interesting that he said post-match, Manchester United are the biggest club in the world. It was great to play so well against them. It was it was almost as if, you know, a little bit of flirting's going on. So I don't know if there's yeah, anything going on. Flirting a little bit there. Well, he was doing a little bit of the old battering of the eyelids, wasn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. So we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We do think that that this will be his last season in the West Ham shirt. And if they get another centre-half as well. But I, I think you're talking about a goalkeeper now where if he's not doing this and he's not doing that and he's not even doing the shot stopping, then maybe that priority becomes a little bit higher. I do think the Manchester United, whoever's in charge, and even if there's a takeover, there'll be a healthy budget to use. And I think Ten Hag needs to be careful um, who he brings in because I think he'll be judged. I had a big chat with Aid uh, post-match and he wasn't having him and saying he should almost resign. Um, and I said, look, last what happened last summer, he didn't know the players. He had the Ronaldo issues. He wasn't issues. having who? Eric Ten Hag? Yeah. 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 So, wow. yeah. So that's, that's what I kind of said. Um, I said, look, but ju- judge him on this summer because he, he didn't know the players last summer. He had the Ronaldo issue. This summer now, though, he needs to say, he needs to be ruthless. He needs to say, what have I got? And he needs to be absolutely ruthless. And he mentioned Anthony. You know, it's a big season for Anthony next season because he hasn't done what he's done and has a lot of money. Yeah, Jaden Sancho as well. There's a lot of players there where 
He needs to judge, are they going to be Manchester United players? Do they just need a little bit of time? Or have I seen enough where I've got to try and get rid of these guys now? It'll be interesting to see what happens with them. Do you think they'll make the top four? Because um, I think a lot of Manchester United fans prior to the game, and I mentioned it and you and I were on air together, some of them were the more vocal ones were like, oh, the media are going to blow this up. Is Liverpool catching Manchester United? It's not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But actually, the points difference is one. The game's difference is one. And all of a sudden, the tension is starting to creep in. There is every chance now that any slip that Manchester United make between now and the end of the season, and look, they've got home games and winnable home games that are upcoming. So they, they should be okay. But bearing in mind what I've seen over the course of the last few weeks, I'm not convinced they're going to be okay. No, I, I thought they were nailed on just a couple of weeks ago. I, I wouldn't say that now at all. Look, Liverpool, as I said before, I don't think are anywhere near the performance of last season, but they're winning games. It's six on the spin now. They've got Leicester away, Villa at home and Southampton away. I can see them getting nine points out of nine there. So that makes them on yeah. 71 points. And because they've got a better goal difference, United need to match that. Of course, they've got that extra game, but... Yeah, it, it was three wins out of five before the West Ham game. And I'm thinking, yeah, they'll they'll do that. Three wins out of four now. Wolves at home, they should. Bournemouth away, they should. Chelsea at home, they probably should. And Fulham at home, they probably should. But we've seen in recent weeks, and we were at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, weren't we, where they were tuning up at half-time. There's no they guarantees score here. They've in the second half of games. They've scored in mm. two of the last 11 in the second half of matches. You know, they tire. They've played a lot more matches than anybody else in Europe. and they, Fatigue is certainly playing a part. Christian Eriksen can only play 60, 65 minutes at this moment in time. He certainly can't play three times in a week. So, look, I tell you what, it's going to be a nervous end to the, the season for a lot of clubs. Um, might be an exciting end uh, for Arsenal. 2-0 winners away at Newcastle. Newcastle uh, faltering. They, too, will need points when they go to Leeds on Saturday Live on TalkSport because... They've dropped points in the top four race. A great performance by Arsenal, backing up their win against Chelsea. And that midfield duo of Erdegaard and Jorginho was excellent in this game. Now, I don't think you can say that Chelsea made a mistake in getting rid of Jorginho, right? Because Jorginho, for a long time at Chelsea, he just, he's, you know, when you look at, I've mentioned this phrase around Rico Lewis before. Rico Lewis is press resistant. He takes the ball in really tight areas gets out of a, 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 a bit of pressure and distributes the ball. Jorginho is, is pressable, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's one of those players who wants to, a lot more time on the ball than maybe he's afforded in the Premier League. He's a brilliant passer of, of the ball, but sometimes he just wants a little bit too much time. When he's got the room to be able to manoeuvre the ball, he can be terrific. And Sunday was one of those examples when he was just on, on, on top of his game. Do, do you know what? It, a lot of Chelsea. I mean, it was Marmite at Chelsea, wasn't he? Um, I, yeah. I've always really liked him. I remember speaking to Jody Morris and um, saying he's a leader. You know, he's not a, a loud guy. He's not shouting. But when you want leaders, are, are, are leaders in different ways. In the same way, and it's a completely different player, but the same way Steven Gerrard wasn't like your vocal leader, but give me the ball, I'll do something with it. Jorginho was always happy to receive the ball. I know what you're saying about... He, he always wanted space, but I, I think he was clever enough to play that one or two touch if it, someone was around him. I think his problem was defensively, he, he's not mobile enough and he doesn't protect the back four well enough. And, and people were saying that Kante should have been playing there all the time. But this is a guy basically who's a leader. You know, he's won the Champions League. He's won the Euros with Italy. He steps up. He takes penalties. 
in pressure situations, I would always choose to have him because it's about character even more than talent, whether you're at the top or at the bottom. And it was a magnificent performance and a magnificent uh, statement from Arsenal to say, this is our most difficult game left. City, you're going to have to win this because we're not going to lose it. Yeah, I thought uh, Newcastle were a little bit naive in the fact that they played uh, both Wilson and Isaac together. And I wonder whether or not um, Eddie Howe went a little bit 1996 Kevin Keegan. I'd love it. I'd love it if we beat them and made the game far too open. And Erdegaard said, oh, I like the idea of this. Thank you very much. Could have been very different if Jacob Murphy scores after about 20 seconds when he hits the inside of the post. Uh, but he didn't. It's going to be a, a brilliant end to the season for those two. Uh, Arsenal just waiting, just behind uh, Manchester City, just giving themselves a big old chance. Uh, Manchester City are in action against Real Madrid uh, on Tuesday night. Um, just wonder whether or not their Champions League distractions could affect their form in the Premier League. They weren't perfect in the match against Leeds United, but we'll see what happens with them over the course of the next few weeks. It's going to be interesting uh, to follow. Uh, some major developments in the world of VAR are about to be introduced. And we're all going to get to hear about it. Hey, Kev, a major development is going to happen uh, next week. Uh, finally, we're going to be able to hear, or well, the general public are going to be able to hear, what happens in the VAR room during those big incidents because it was announced that Chief Refereeing Officer Howard Webb has agreed to deal with Premier League uh, Productions and FIFA to release some of the footage and audio from some of the major incidents. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I think anything that has more transparency, anything that shows the process more, anything that educates people about how VAR works, how refereeing works, I think is a really good thing. I've advocated refs being mic'd up for a long time. If you look at Liga, for example, they've started to have this experiment whereby they show referees and that they mic them up and they're starting to put out those conversations that they're having with players. So I think anything that makes people understand how the referee's job works and how they come to these conclusions, I think is a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean Jurgen Klopp maybe doesn't want the audio being broadcast, but uh, apart from that, everybody <laughs> else is quite happy about it. Um, look, the first stage uh, is to uh, start this pilot TV programme, which is going to go out on Premier League Productions, which is sort of the world service of, of the Premier League. And all the broadcasters that uh, are, uh, are the rights holders have the opportunity to rebroadcast the programme. Uh, so you'll see it on your TVs. You may even hear some of it on, on the radio as well. Um, and it'll be a half hour show where they go back and try and do a little bit of an explainer about some of the VAR decisions. And it'll be interesting to see how it's received, because it's something that Howard Webb actually introduced when he was in charge of the refereeing uh, in the MLS. It was like this Monday morning thing. Everyone would get together, they'd record this TV show, and he would explain exactly why a decision was made. And I think really what it did was it sort of took the heat out of some of the more controversial decisions because you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, now I understand why they got to that process. Sometimes you might disagree with it, but at least you understand what the thought process was going into making the decisions. And I think sometimes like we can sit there and explain it. We do it on a Sunday. We go through uh, a few of the decisions on Men in Black in the Sunday session. But having someone in authority come out and sort of just justify why they've got to where they have, I think helps just make it more palatable and understandable for for the listener and the viewer. 100%. And if you actually look at Germany, 
for example, obviously that's where I do a lot of my work. If you look at the last two weekends we've had, so a couple of week, weeks ago, Sasha Stegerman, who was the referee for Borkham against Dortmund, which was a massive game, not only in the relegation battle, but in the fight for the title. There was a big controversial moment in the second half. He didn't give a penalty. And even though this obviously didn't go down well with Dortmund, afterwards he came out and said, look, I got this wrong. I got I, I got this wrong. I, I should have given a penalty. I should have been asked by VAR to go and have another look. That didn't happen. And so he publicly apologised, talked through what had happened and what had gone wrong. In the game between Schalke and Mainz that I did on Friday night, there was a penalty in the 12th minute of stoppage time, latest ever Bundesliga goal. It was a shirt pull. And the referee, Dr. Matthias Jörlenbeck, came out and said, look, this is why I gave this decision. This is how I got to it. And even though Mainz didn't agree with it, at least he'd set out how he got to that. So I think that's part of the culture there. As you say, Howard Webb has, has put that in in the MLS before. I think it's a really good step. Yeah, well, I think it's the first step, isn't it? And in, and ultimately, transparency can only be a good thing. Um, and I like the fact that, you know, Howard Webb has taken positive steps since taking this job. It was only December that he took over. Anyone who was thinking that all of a sudden Howard Webb was going to walk through the door and every decision was going to be correct and all the processes were going to be perfect and we we're all going to fall in love with VAR, uh, that wasn't going to happen. But over time, I think he's going about it the right way in terms of slowly but surely reinforcing a bit of confidence in the system and hopefully reinforcing some confidence in the referees as well. Kev, thank you very much. Enjoyed that. Um, Tuesday night, we've got uh, Real Madrid against Manchester City live on TalkSport in the Champions League semi-final. Wednesday night, AC Milan against Inter Milan. Oh, what a derby that is going to be. Remember the last time they played each other in the European Cup? Oh, that didn't end very well. Um, the Champions League semi-final first leg kicks off at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. Thursday night, West Ham versus AZ Alkmaar. Or how do you say it? Come on, RZ, isn't it? RZ, is that right? RZ, yeah. If you, if you say RZ Alkmaar, you're basically saying Alkmaar Alkmaar. So it's just RZ. Alkmaar Alkmaar. It's just RZ, RZ in the <laughs> Europa Conference League semi-final. Come on, West Ham. We all want to go to Prague on a European tour. Uh, and then over the weekend, game day returns. We'll have a full preview by Thursday afternoon, looking ahead to what should be a fantastic Premier League weekend. Another thrilling Premier League weekend. When is it not? The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.